Didaco and Violenta, the forty-second novel of The Palace of Pleasure by William Painter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Nicholl. Didaco and Violenta, the forty-second novel of The Palace of Pleasure by William Painter. There is no man but doth know that Valencia is, at this day, the chief and only vampire of Spain, the true seat of faith, justice, and humanity. And amongst all the rare and excellent ornaments, that city is well furnished with so trim ladies and courteous gentlewomen, as they know how to bait and feed young men with foolish dalliance and idle pastime. So that if there be any beetle-head or gross person, the better to allure and provoke him to those follies they tell him, by a common proverb, that he must go to Valencia. In this city there was, in old time as it is this day, a very ancient stock and family called Ventimiglia, out of which be descended a great number of rich and honourable knights, amongst whom not long time past there was one named Didaco, very famous and renowned to be the most liberal and familiar gentleman of the city, who, for want of better business, walked up and down the city, and so consumed his youth in triumphs, masks, and other expenses common and apt for such pilgrims, addressing his love indifferently to all women without greater affection to one than to another, and continued that order till, upon a holiday, he espied a young maid, of final years but of very exquisite beauty which made suddenly, casting her eye upon him, so pierced the knight Didaco with her look, that from that time forth she entered more near his heart than any other. And after he had well marked her dwelling-place, he many times passed and repassed before the door to espy if he might get some look or other favour of her that began already to govern the bridle of his thoughts. And if it chanced that the gentleman beheld her, she showed herself courteous, and amiable, endued with grace so good as he never departed ill-contented out of the street. The gentleman, continuing certain time in those vanities, was desirous to know afar of what she was, of what lineage, and of what vocation. And after he had curiously searched out all her original, he understood by diverse report that she was a goldsmith's daughter, whose father was dead certain years before, having no more but her mother alive and two brethren both of their father's science. Notwithstanding, of life she was chaste and honest, defamed with none, although she was pursued of many. Her outward beauty did not so much set her forth, as her grace and order of talk, who, although brought up in a citizen's house, yet no lady or gentlewoman in the city was comparable to her in virtue and behaviour, for from her tender years she was not only given to her needle, a meet exercise for maids of her degree, but also was trained up to read and write, wherein she took so great pleasure as ordinarily she carried a book in her hand, which she never gave over until she had gathered some fruit thereof. This knight, having received that first impression of the valour and virtue of Violenta, for that was her name, was further in love than before, and that which added more oil to the match was the continual looks wherewith she knew how to delight him, and with them she was so liberal that, so oft as he passed through the street, 
she shot them forth so cruelly as his poor heart, feeling itself so tormented, could not endure that new onset. By reason whereof, thinking to quench the fire that by little and little consumed him, he attempted her chastity, with gifts, letters, and messengers, which he continued the space of half a year or more, whereunto Violenta, giving no place, in the end he was constrained to assail her with his own presence, and one day, finding her alone at the door, after he had made a very humble reverence unto her, he said, Mistress Violenta, considering your order and the cold regard that you have to my letters and messages, I do remember the subtlety that is attributed to the serpent, who with his tail stoppeth his ears, because he will not hear the words which have power to constrain him to do against his will, which have made me to leave to write unto you, and to desire specially to speak unto you, that mine affectious accents, my sorrowful words and fervent sighs, might certify you better than paper the rest of my passion, believing, verily, that if the heavy sound of my grievous complaints may come to your delicate ears, they will make you to understand a part of that good and evil which I feel continually in my heart, although the love which I bear you be such as I cannot give any lively experience outwardly, being but little in comparison of them which may be seen within. And pronouncing those words, there followed so many tears, sobs, and sighs, as they gave sufficient testimony that his tongue was the true and faithful messenger of his heart. Senor Didaco, if you do not yet remember your life past, and mine honesty, which, peradventure, you have thought either rude or cruel, I doubt not that you have any cause to marvel of my presumption, and to attribute that to vice, which is familiar with virtue. For, although that you have solicited me to love you by an infinite number of letters and messages, yet it is so that, following the nature of maids of my degree, I have neither allowed them nor yet condemned them, as whereunto accordingly I have made no answer, not for despite or contempt, but to let you know more certainly that by favouring your enterprises I should increase your grief, which can receive none end by the way you pretend. For although that I have made the first proof upon myself, and therefore of reason I ought to lament them which be in semblable pain, yet I will not let slip the bridle in such wise to my passion that my honesty shall remain in another man's power, and, so it may be, at the mercy and courtesy of them who, not knowing how dear it is to me, shall think they have made a pretty conquest, and that I may have no cause to repent too late, I have stopped mine ears, for fear that I be not arrested and stayed with the violence of your charms, a thing, as you say, proper to serpents. But I have forfeited my heart, and so armed my inward mind, as if God continue that grace in me which hitherto he has done, I hope not to be surprised. Although that I must needs confess to my shame that I have received marvellous assaults of love, not only for the common renown of your virtues and through the courtesy and gentleness daily imparted to me by your letters, but specially by your presence, which hath yielded unto me experience and assurance of that which all the letters of the world could not do, nor all other messages were not able to conceive. And to the end that I may not be utterly ingrate, and that you do not depart from me altogether miscontent, I do promise you now that from henceforth you shall enjoy the first place of my heart, whereunto another shall never enter. If so be you can be content with honest amity, wherein you shall find me in time to come so liberal in all that which honesty shall permit, that I am content to forego the name of a presumptuous or cruel damsel for your sake. But if you mean to abuse me, 
or hope for anything of me contrary to mine honour, you be marvellously deceived. Wherefore, if you think your worthiness is too great to carry away a recompense so small, you shall do very well, both for me and yourself, in forgetting that is past, to cut off all hope in time to come. And she thinking to prolong a further discourse, the mother of Violenta, which still stood at the window all the time that Signor Didaco was with her daughter, came down to the door, interrupting their talk, said to Didaco, Sir, I suppose you take great pleasure in the folly of my daughter, because you tarry and abide here rather than to contrive your time than for any other contentation you can receive. For she is so evil-taught and of such rude behaviour that her demeanour will rather trouble you than give you cause of delight. Mistress, said Didaco, although in the beginning I purposed not to tarry so long, yet when I entered in more familiar acquaintance and had well experienced her good graces, I confess that I have stayed here longer than I thought. And were he never so great a lord that liveth at this day, I dare avouch that he might think his time well spent in hearing such sober and honest talk, wherewith I think myself so well satisfied and instructed as all the days of my life I will witness that virtue, courtesy, and sober behaviour is to be found as well in mean degrees and houses as in them that be right noble, amongst which mean families, although she be one, it may be so, that one more illustre and noble cannot be more excellent and accomplished with better manners than she, which is now well manifested to me in this little discourse. And after a certain other common talk, Didaco took his leave and went home to his house, where he lived fourteen or fifteen months without any rest, assaying by all means to mortify his desires, but it availed not. For although he was rich, a trim courtier, and an eloquent gentleman, and had opportunity to speak unto her many times, and she, gentle enough to hear him and to understand his errands, and was assured by friends that she, for her part, was also in love, yet he was not able by human art and policy to convert her to his mind. Wherewithal he was long time molested, and at length pressed with grief and annoyance, he was advised to send six hundred ducats to the mother, for a relief to the marriage of her daughter, promising besides that he would assign her an honest dowry when she found a man worthy to be her husband, upon condition that she would yield to him some comfort to ease his affection. But she which could not be won with love was not able to be recovered with money, and was offended that Signor Didaco had forgotten himself so far as to think to gain that for money which with so great pain, tears, and sighs had been denied him. And to make him understand how she was offended, she sent word by him that brought her the money, that he should go and prove hereafter to deceive them that measured their honour with the price of profit, and not to set traps to deceive other that would buy nothing hurtful to virtue. And after Didaco was advised of her mind, and perceived that he lost time in all his enterprises, and was able no longer to sustain his extreme pain and sorrow which daily augmented, and when he had debated in his mind all the success of his love, he resolved in the end upon that which he thought most profitable for his quiet, which was to marry her. And although she was of no such house, and yet less endowed with substance as he deserved, yet her beauty and virtue and other gifts of grace wherewith she was enriched made her worthy of a great lord, and resolved upon this, he repaired to Violenta, to whom he said, Mistress Violenta, if the true touchstone to know them that be perfect lovers amongst other is marriage, certainly you have gotten a husband of me, if it please you to accept me for such one, in whom in time you shall make to understand the difference between goodness and virtue, and between honesty and riches. 
Violenta, then, ravished with joy and incredible contentation, somewhat abashed, said unto him, Senor Didaco, I know not whether you pretend by words to prove my constancy, or else bring me into fool's paradise, but of one thing I can assure you, that although I acknowledge myself inferior to you in merits, goods, and virtue, yet if that come to pass which you promise, I will not give place to you in love, trusting if God send us life together, you shall well understand one day that you would not exchange my person for a greater lady whatsoever she be. For confirmation whereof, Didaco plucked from his finger an emerald of great value, which, when he had kissed her, he gave unto her in the way of marriage, praying her that she would not disclose it for a certain time until he himself had made all his friends privy unto it. Notwithstanding, he willed her to impart the same to her two brethren and to her mother, and he would get some priest of the country to solemnize the marriage within their house, which was done in a chamber about four of the clock in the morning, being only present the mother, the brethren, the priest, and a servant of the house brought up there from her youth and his own man, without making any other preparation of cost requisite for such a matter. In this sort they spent the day in great joy and mirth, which they can conceive that be of base birth and exalted to some high degree of honour, till night was come, and then every man withdrew themselves, leaving the bride and her husband to the mercy of love and order of the night, who, being alone, received equal joy and like contentation, which they feel that, being pressed with ardent and grievous thirst, do in the end afterwards with lively joy and all kind of liberty quench that cruel discommodity, and continued in those pleasures till morning, that day began to appear, to whom Violenta said, My honourable lord and dear husband, sith that you be now in possession of that which you have so greatly desired, I humbly beseech you to consider for the time to come how and what wise your pleasure is that I shall use myself. For if God grant me the grace to be so discreet in pleasing you as I shall be ready and desirous to obey you, in all that you shall command me there was never gentleman's servant that did more willingly please his master than I hope to do you. My sweet and well-beloved wife, let us leave this humbleness and service for this time to them which delight in them, for I promise you of my faith that I have you in no less reverence and estimation than if you had come of the greatest house in Catalonia, as I will make you understand some other time, at more leisure. But, until I have given order to certain of mine affairs, I pray you to keep our marriage secret, and be not offended if many times I do resort home to mine own house, although there shall no day pass by my will, but at night I will keep you company. In the meantime, to buy you necessaries, I will send you a thousand or twelve hundred ducats to employ, not upon apparel or other things requisite to your degree, for I will provide the same myself at another time, but upon small trifles, such as be apt and convenient for household. And so departed Senor Didaco from his wife's house, who did so lovingly entertain him, as by the space of a year there was no day wherein he was content without the view and sight of his wife and upon his oft resort to their house the neighbours began to suspect that he kept the maiden and rebuked her mother and brethren but especially violenta for suffering didaco to use their house in such secret wise and above all they lamented the ill hap of violenta who being so well brought up till she was twenty years of age and maiden of such beauty 
that there was none in all the city of Valencia but greatly did esteem her to be of singular honesty and reputation. Notwithstanding, degenerating from her accustomed virtue, they judged her to be light of behaviour, given to lascivious love, and, albeit that very many times such checks and taunts were objected, yet she made small account of them, knowing that her conscience by any means was not charged with such reproach, hoping therewithal that one day she would make them to give over that false opinion when her marriage should be published and known. But certain times, feeling herself touched and her honesty impaired, could not contain but when she saw time with her husband, she prayed him very earnestly to have her home to his own house, to avoid slander and defamation of neighbours. But Sir Didaco knew so well how to use his wife by delays and promises, as she agreed unto him in all things, and had rather displeased the whole world together than offend him alone. Being now so attached with the love of the knight, as she cared for nothing else but to please and content him in all things whereunto she saw him disposed, and like as in the beginning she was hard and very slack in love, now she became so fervent and earnest in her affections, as she received no pleasure but in the sight of Didaco, or in that which might content and please him best. Which the knight did easily perceive, and seeing himself in full possession of her heart, began by little and little to wax cold, and to be grieved at that which before he counted dear and precious, persuading himself that he should do no wrong to his reputation if that marriage unworthy of his estate were discovered and known in the city, and to provide for the same he more seldom times repaired to visit his wife Violenta, yea, and whensoever he resorted to her, it was more to satisfy his carnal pleasure than for any love he bore her. And thus, forgetting both God and his own conscience, he frequented other companies in diverse places to win the good will of some other gentlewoman. In the end, by sundry suits, dissimulations, and hypocrisies, he so behaved himself as he recovered the good will of the daughter of Signor Ramiro Villaracuta, one of the chiefest knights and of most ancient house of Valencia. And, as we have declared before, because he was rich and wealthy and issued of a noble race, her parents did easily agree to the marriage, and the father, having assigned an honourable dowry to his daughter, the nuptials were celebrated publicly with great pomp and solemnity, to the singular contentation of all men. The marriage done and ended, Sir Didaco and his new wife continued at the house of his father-in-law, where he lived a certain time in such pleasure and delectation as they do that be newly married. Whereof the mother and brethren of Violenta, being advertised, conceived like sorrow as accustomably they do, that see the honour of them that be issued of their own blood, unjustly and without cause to be despoiled. And these poor, miserable creatures, not knowing to whom to make their complaint, lived in strange perplexity, because they knew not the priest which did solemnize their marriage. On the other side, they had no sufficient proof of the same, and albeit they were able to verify in some points the first marriage of Didaco, yet they durst not prosecute the law against two of the greatest lords of their city, and knowing the stout heart of Violenta, they thought to conceal the same from her for a time, but it was in vain, for not long after she was certified thereof, not only by the next neighbours, but by the common brute of the city which reported, 
that in ten years' space there was not seen in Valencia a marriage more honourable or royal, nor frequented with a nobler company of gentlemen and ladies, than the same was of the young knight Didaco with the daughter of Senor Ramirio. Wherewithal, Violenta, vexed beyond measure, pressed with ire and fury, withdrew herself into her chamber alone, and there began to scratch and tear her face and hair, like one that was mad and out of her wits, saying, Alas, alas, what pain and trouble, what immeasurable torment suffereth now my poor afflicted mind without comfort or consolation of any creature living! Oh, fortune, fortune, the enemy of my felicity and bliss! Thou hast so deprived me of all remedy as I dare not so much as to make any man know or understand my mishap, that the same might be revenged, which being done would render such content to my mind as I should not depart out of this world the best satisfied maiden that ever died. Alas, that the gods did not grant me the benefit that I might have come of noble kind, to the intent that I might have caused that traitorous ruffian to feel the grievous pain and bitter torments which my poor heart sustaineth. Oh, wretched caitiff that I am, abandoned and forlorn of all good fortune! Now I do see that with the eyes of my mind, which with those of my body, dazzled and deceived, I could not see or perceive. Ah, oh, cruel enemy of all pity, dost thou not know and feel in thy mind the heavy and sorrowful sound of my bitter plaints? Understandeth not thou my voice that crieth vengeance upon thee for thy misdeed? Can not thy cruelty in nothing be diminished, seeing me dismembered with the terror of a thousand furious martyrdoms? Oh, ingrateful wretch! Is this now the reward of my love? of my faithful service, and mine obedience. And as she thus bitterly tormented herself, her mother and brethren, and her maid, which was brought up with her from her tender years, went up to the chamber to Violenta, where they found her then so deformed with rage and fury that almost she was out of their knowledge. And when they went about to reduce her by all means possible from those furious pangs, and saw that it nothing availed, they left her in the keeping of the old maiden whom she loved above any other. And after the maiden had uttered unto her particularly many reasons for the appeasing of her grief, she told her that if she would be quiet a little while, she would go and speak to the knight Didaco, and make him to understand his fault, and would, with discreet order, so deal with him that he should come home to her house, and therefore she prayed her to arm herself against this wickedness, and to dissemble the matter for a time that hereafter she might use upon him just revenge. No, no, Janique, answered Violenta, that offence is very small and light where counsel is received, and albeit that I cannot choose but confess thine advice to be very meet, yet there wanteth in me a mind to follow it. If I did feel any part in me disposed to obey the same, I would, even before thy face, separate that mind from my wretched body. For I am so resolved in the malice and hatred of Didaco, as he cannot satisfy me without life alone, and I believe the gods did cause me to be born with mine own hands to execute vengeance of their wrath and the loss of mine honour. Wherefore, Janike, if from my love thou didst ever love me, show now the same to me by effect, in a matter whereunto thy help is most necessary. For I am so outraged in my mischief, as I do envy the miserablest creatures of the world, remaining no more in me to continue life in wailing and continual sighs, but the title of a vile and abominable whore. Thou art a stranger, and livest here a beastly life, joined with a continual labour. I have twelve hundred crowns, with certain jewels which that false traitor gave me, 
which he predestinated by the heavens for none other purpose but to pay them their hire, which shall do the vengeance upon his disloyal person. I do put the same money now into thy hands, if thou wilt help me make sacrifice with the body of poor Didaco, but if thou dost deny me thy help, I will execute the same alone, and in case he do not die as I do intend, he shall be murdered as I may, for the first time that I shall see him with mine eyes, come of it what will, his life shall be dispatched with these two trembling hands which thou seest. Janike, seeing her mistress in these terms, and knowing of her stout nature, endued with a manly and invincible stomach, after she had debated many things in her mind, she determined wholly to employ herself for her mistress in that she was able to do. Moved partly with pity to see her mistress dishonoured with a defamed marriage, and partly provoked with covetousness to gain so great a sum of money which her mistress did offer if she would condescend to her enterprise, thinking, after the fact committed, to flee into some other country. And when she was thoroughly resolved upon the same, she embraced Violenta, and said unto her, Mistress, if you will be ruled by me, and give over the vehemence of your wrath and displeasure, I have found a way for you to be revenged upon Didaco, who have so wickedly deceived you, and, albeit the same cannot be done secretly, but in the end it must be known, yet I doubt not but the cause declared before the judges, and they understanding the wrong ye have done you, they will have compassion upon your misery, who know right well that always you have been known and esteemed for a very honest and virtuous maiden, and to the end that you may be informed how this matter may be brought to pass. First, you must learn to dissemble your grief openly, and to feign yourself in any wise not to be offended with the new marriage of the night. Then you shall write unto him a letter with your own hand, letting him thereby to understand the pain that you suffer for the great love you bear him, and you shall humbly beseech him sometimes to come and visit you. And sith that froward fortune will not suffer you to be his wife, yet that it would please him to use you as his lover, that you may possess the second place of his love, since by reason of his new wife you cannot enjoy the first. Thus the deceiver shall be beguiled, by thinking to have you at his commandment as he was wont to do, and being come hither to lie with you, we will handle him in such wise as I have invented, that in one night he shall lose his life, his wife, and her whom he thinketh to have for his lover. For when he is abed with you, and fallen in his first sleep, we will send him into another place, where in a more sounder sleep he shall everlastingly continue. Violenta, all this time, which fed her bloody and cruel heart with none other repast but with rage and disdain, began to be appeased, and found the counsel of Janike so good as she wholly purposed to follow the same. And to begin her enterprise, she prayed Janike for a time to withdraw herself until she had written her letter, by the tenor whereof she should understand with what audacity she would prosecute the rest. And being alone in her chamber, taking pen and paper, she wrote to Didaco, with feigned heart, as followeth. Signor Didaco, I am persuaded, that if you will vouchsafe to read and peruse the contents of these my sorrowful letters, you shall be moved with some compassion and pity by beholding the true image of my miserable life, portrayed and painted in the same, which, through your disloyalty and breach of promise, is consumed and spent with so many tears, sighs, torments, and griefs, that diverse times I marvel how nature can so long support and defend the violent assaults of so cruel a martyrdom, 
and that she hath not many times torn my feeble spirit out of this cruel and mortal prison, which maketh me to think and believe, by continuing life, that death himself has conspired my misery, and is the companion of my affliction, considering that by no torment she is able to make division between my soul and body. Alas, how many ten hundred thousand times in a day have I called for death, and yet I cannot make her to recline her ears under my cries. Alas, how many times am I vanquished with the sharp torments of sorrow, ready to take my leave and last farewell of you, being arrived at the extreme pangs of death? Behold, Didaco, mine ordinary delights. Behold my pleasures. Behold all my pastime. But yet this is but little in respect of that which chanceth in the night. For if it happen that my poor eyes do fall asleep, weary with incessant drawing forth of wellsprings of tears, slumbering dreams cease not then to vex and afflict my mind with the cruelest torments that are possible to be devised representing unto me by their ugly and horrible visions the joy and contentation of her which enjoyeth my place whereby the greatest joy which i conceive is not inferior to cruel death thus my life maintained with continuation of sorrows and griefs is persecuted in most miserable wise now as you know I daily pass my sorrow under painful silence, thinking that your old promises, confirmed with so many oaths, and the assured proof which you still have had of my faith and constancy, would have brought you to some order. But now, seeing with mine eyes the hard metal of your heart, and the cruelty of my fate which wholly hath subdued me to your obedience for respect of mine honour, I am forced to complain of him that beateth me, and thereby despoileth me both of mine honour and life not vouchsafing only so much as once to come unto me. And uncertain to whom I may make recourse, or where to find redress, I appeal unto you, to the end that seeing what lean and ugly state I am, your cruelty may altogether be satisfied, which, beholding a sight so pitiful, wherein the figure of my torment is lively expressed, it may be moved to some compassion. Come hither, then, thou cruel man, come hither, I say, to visit her whom with some sign of humanity thou mayest stay, or leastwise mollify and appease the vengeance which she prepareth for thee. And if ever spark of pity did warm thy frozen heart, arm thyself with greater cruelty than ever thou wast wont to do, and come hither to make her sob her last and extreme sighs whom thou hast wretchedly deceived. For in doing otherwise thou mayst peradventure too late bewail my death and thy beastly cruelty and thinking to make a conclusion of her letter, the tears made her words to die in her mouth, and would not suffer her to write any more. Wherefore she closed and sealed the same, and then, calling Janike unto her, she said, Hold, gentle Janike, carry these letters unto him, and if thou canst so well play thy part as I have done mine, I hope we shall have shortly at our commandment him that is the occasion of this my painful life, more grievous unto me than a thousand deaths together. Janike, having the letter, departed with diligence, and went to the house of the father-in-law of Didaco, where quietly she waited until she might speak with some of the house, which was within a while after, for one of the servants of Didaco, whom she knew right well, went about certain his master's business, and meeting Janike was abashed, of whom she demanded if the lord Didaco were within, and said that she would fain speak with him, but if it were possible she would talk with him secretly, whereof Didaco, advertised, came forth to her in the street, 
to whom smilingly, having made to him a feigned reverence, she said, Signor Didarco, I can neither write nor read, but I dare lay my life there is suit made unto you by these letters, which Madame Violenta hath sent unto you. And indeed, to say the truth, there is great injury done unto you of your part, not in respect of your new marriage, for I never thought that Violenta was a wife meet for you, considering the difference of your estates, but because you will not vouchsafe to come unto her, seeming that you make no more account of her, and especially for that you provide no marriage for her in some other place. And assure yourself, she is so far in love with you, that she is ready to die as she goeth, in such wise that making her complaint unto me this day weeping, she said unto me, Well, for so much then as I cannot have him to be my husband, I would to God he would maintain me for his friend, and certain times in the week to come and see me, especially in the night, lest he should be spied of the neighbours. And certainly, if you would follow her mind herein, you should do very well, for the case standeth thus. You may make your avaunt that you be provided of so fair a wife, and with so beautiful a friend as any gentleman in Valencia. And then Janique delivered him the letter, which he received, and read, and having well considered the tenor of the same, he was incontinently surprised with a sudden passion. For hatred and pity, love and disdain, as within a cloud be contained hot and cold with many contrary winds, began to combat together, and to vex his heart with contrary minds. Then, pausing upon answer, he said unto her, Janike, my dear friend, recommend me to the good grace and favour of thy mistress, and say unto her that for this time I will make her no answer, but to-morrow, at four of the clock in the morning, I will be at her house, and keep her company all the day and night, and then I will tell her what I have done since I departed last from her, trusting she shall have no cause to be offended with me. And then Janike, taking her leave, returned toward Violenta, telling her what she had done. To whom Violenta answered, Janike, if thou hast made a good beginning to our plotted enterprise, I likewise for my part have not slept. For I have devised that we must provide for a strong rope, which we will fasten to the bedside, and when he shall be asleep, I will cast the other end of the rope to thee, overthwart the bed, that thou mayst pluck the same with all thy might, and before thou beginnest to pull, I will, with a knife, cut his throat, wherefore thou must prepare two great knives, whatsoever they cost, but I pray thee let me alone with doing of the fact that I may dispatch him of his life, which alone did make the first assault to the breach of mine honour. Janike knew so well how to provide for all that was requisite for the execution of their enterprise, as there rested nothing but opportunity to sort their cruel purpose to effect. The knight, Sir Didaco, at the hour appointed, told his new wife that he must go into the country to take order for the state of his land, and that he could not return till next day in the morning, which she by and by believed, and the better to cover his fact, he caused two horse to be made ready, and rode forth when the clock struck four. And when he had ridden through a certain street, he said to his man, which was wont to serve his turn in love matters, carry my horse to such a manner in the country, and tarry there all this day, and to-morrow morning come seek me in such a place, when I am gone from the house of Violenta. In the meantime, set my horse in some inn, for in any wise I will have no man know that I do lie there. Which done, the master and the servant went two several ways. The knight, being come to the house of Violenta, he found Janike tarrying for him with good devotion to use him according to his desert and conveyed him to the chamber of Violenta. And then she returned about her business. The knight kissed Violenta, and bade her good morrow, 
asking her how she did. Whom Violenta answered, Sir Didaco, you bid me good morrow in words, but indeed you go about to prepare me for a heavy and sorrowful life. I believe that your mind beareth witness of the state of my welfare, for you have brought me to such extremity that you see right well how nothing else but my voice declareth me to be a woman, and therewithal so feeble a creature, that I still crave and call for death or pity, although both of the one and of the other I am not heard at all. And yet think not, Didaco, that I am so far out of my wits to believe that the cause of my writing the letter was for hope that you, remembering my bitter pains in your own heinous crime, I could ever move you to pity, for I am persuaded that you will never cease to exhaust and suck the blood, honour, and life of them that credit your trumperies and deceits, as now by experience I know myself with such deadly sorrow that I still attend and look for the sorrowful end of my life. Didaco, seeing her thus afflicted, fearing that her collar would further inflame, began to cull her and to take her now into his arms, telling her that his marriage with the daughter of Villaracuta was concluded more by force than his own will and mind, because they pretended to have a gift of all the land and goods he had in succession after his father was dead, which, if they did obtain by law, he should be a beggar for all the days of his life and that the same was done to provide for the quiet state of them both, and notwithstanding he had married another wife, yet he purposed to love none but her, and meant in time to poison his wife, and to spend the rest of his life with her. And thus, seeming to remedy his former fault by surmised reports, chanting upon the cords of his pleasant tongue, he thought with court-like allurements to appease her, which had her wits too well sharpened to be twice taken in one trap, howbeit for fear of driving him away, and to lose the mean to accomplish that which she intended, she said unto him with forced smiling, Sir Didaco, although you have so ill-used me in time past, as I have no great cause to believe your present words, yet the love that I bear you is so rooted in my heart, as the fault must be very great which should remove the same. In consideration whereof, I will constrain myself to believe that your words be true, upon condition that you will swear and promise to lie with me here once or twice a week. For me think that, if I might at times enjoy your presence, I should remain in some part of your grace and favour, and live the best contented woman alive. Whereunto he willingly agreed, with a great number of other like protestations, prompt and ready in them, which mean deceit. But if the poor miserable woman had pierced the same in the depth of her heart, and had credited all that he spake, no doubt he would have changed his mind. Thus. Either parties spent the day in cold and dissembled flatteries till dark night with its accustomed silence to deliver them the mean to exercise their cruel fact. So soon as supper was done, Didaco and Violenta walked up and down together talking of certain common matters till the night, pressed with sleep, commanded his bed to be made ready. It needed not then to inquire with what diligence Violenta and Janique obeyed his request, in whom only as they thought consisted the hap or mishap of their intent, to whom, because Violenta might show herself more affectionate, went first to bed, and so soon as they were laid, Janique drew the curtains and took away Didaco's sword, and making as though she had a thing to do under the bed, she fastened the rope and raked up the fire which was in the chimney, carrying a stool to the bedside, and laid upon the same two great kitchen knives, which done she put out the candle, and feigning to go out of the chamber she shut the door and went in again. And then the poor unfortunate knight, thinking that he was alone in the chamber with Violenta, began to clip and kiss her, whereunto she made no refusal, but, desirous to renew his old private toys, 
she prayed him of all love that he bare unto her to keep truce for two or three hours, for that the night was long enough to satisfy her desires, affirming that it was impossible for her to wake, because five or six days before, by reason of her griefs, she had not slept at all, notwithstanding, she said, that after her first sleep she would willingly obey him. Whereunto the gentleman was easily persuaded, as well because he had elsewhere sufficiently staunched his thirst, as also for that he was loath to displease her, and feigning herself to sleep she turned her face to the other side, and in that wise continued, till the poor gentleman was fallen into his sound sleep. Then Janique softly conveyed the rope over his body, and gave it to Violenta, and after she had placed it according to her mind, as they together had devised before, she delivered the end to Janike, who being at the bedside sat down upon the ground, and folding the rope about her arms, hoisted her two feet against the bed to pull with greater force when need required. Not long after, Violenta took one of the great knives, and lifting herself up softly, she proved with her hand to seek a place most meet for her to stab a hole into her enemy's flesh and enchanted with wrath, rage, and fury like another Medea, thrust the point of the knife with such force into his throat as she pierced it through, and the poor unhappy man, thinking to resist the same, by giving some repulse against that adverse and heavy fortune, was appalled, who, feeling a new charge given upon him again, especially being intricated with the rope, was not able to stir hand nor foot, and through the excessive violence of the pain, his speech and power to cry was taken away, in such sort that, after he had received ten or twelve mortal wounds one after another, his poor martyred soul departed from his sorrowful body. Violenta, having ended her determined enterprise, commanded Janike to light the candle, and approaching near the knight's face, she saw by and by that he was without life. Then, not able to satisfy her bloody heart, nor yet to quench her furious rage which boiled in her stomach, she, with the point of the knife, tear out the eyes from his head, crying out upon them with hideous voice as if they had been alive. Ah, oh, treacherous eyes, the messengers of a mind most villainous that ever sojourned within the body of man! Come out of your shameless siege for ever, for the spring of your feigned tears is now exhausted and dried up. Then she played the butcher upon those insensible members, continuing still her rage, and cruelly seized upon the tongue, which with her bloody hands she hailed out of his mouth, and, beholding the same with a murderous eye as she was cutting it off, said, O oh, abominable and perjured tongue, how many lives didst thou frame in the same before thou couldst with the cannon shot of this poisoned member make breach into my virginity? whereof now, being deprived by thy means, I frankly accelerate myself to death, whereunto thou presently hast opened the way. And when she had separated this little member from the rest of the body, insatiable of cruelty, with the knife ripped a violent hole into his stomach, and launching her cruel hands upon his heart, she tear it from the place, and gashing the same with many blows, she said, Ah, vile heart! harder than the diamond whose anvil forged the unfortunate traps of these my cruel destinies. Oh, that I could have discovered thy cogitations in time past, as I do now thy material substance, that I might have been preserved from thine abominable treason and detestable infidelity. Then, fleshing herself upon the dead body, as a hungry lion upon his prey, 
she left no part of him unwounded. And when she had mangled his body all over with an infinite number of gashes, she cried out, O oh, infected carrion, while I'm an organ and instrument of the most unfaithful and traitorous mind that ever was under the cope of heaven, now thou art paid with desert, worthy of thy merits. Then she said to Janike, which with great terror had all this while viewed her play this pageant, Janike, I feel myself now so eased of pain, that come death when he will, he shall find me strong and lusty to endure his furious assault, which of long time I have essayed. Help me then to train this corpse out of my father's house, wherein I was first deflowered. Then I will tell you what I should do. For like as mine honesty is stained and published abroad, even so will I the revenge to be manifest, craving that his body may be exposed to the view of all men, whose request Janike obeyed. And then she and Violenta took the body, and threw it out at one of the chamber windows, down upon the pavement of the street, with all the parts which she had cut off. That done, she said to Janike, Take this casket, with the money within the same, and ship thyself at the next port thou shalt come to, and get thee over into Africa to save thy life so speedily as thou canst, and never come into these parts again, nor to any other where thou art known. Which Janike purposed to do, although Violenta had not counselled her thereunto, and ready to depart, she gave a sorrowful farewell to her mistress, and betook herself to her good fortune. And from that time forth no man could tell whither she went, for all the pursuit made after her. So soon as day appeared, the first that passed by the street espied the dead body, which, by reason of the noise and brute made throughout the town, caused many people to come and see it. But no man knew what he was, being disfigured as well by reason of the eyes torn out of his head, as for other parts mutilated and deformed. And about eight of the clock in the morning there was such a multitude of people assembled, as it was in manner impossible to come near it. The most part thought that some thieves in the night had committed that murder, which opinion seemed to be true because he was in his shirt. Other some were of contrary opinion, and Violenta, which was at the window, hearing their sundry opinions, came down and with a bold courage and stout voice that every man might hear, said, Sirs, you do contend upon a thing whereof, if I were demanded the question of the magistrates of this city, I am able to render assured testimony, and without great difficulty this murder cannot be discovered by any other but by me, which words the people did soon believe, thinking that diverse gentlemen jealous of Violenta had made a fray, for she had now lost her ancient reputation by means of Didaco, who, as the fame and common report was bruited, did keep her. When she had spoken these words, the judges were incontinently advertised as well of the murder of that which Violenta had said, and went thither with sergeants and officers where they found Violenta more stout than any of the standers-by, and inquired of her immediately how that murder came to pass. But she, without fear or appalment, made this answer. He that you see here dead is the Lord Didaco, and because it appertaineth to many to understand the truth of his death, as his father-in-law, his wife, and other kinsmen, I would in their presence, if it please you to cause them to be called hither, declare what I know. The magistrates, amazed to see so great a lord so cruelly slain, committed her to ward till after dinner, and commanded that all but the before-named should be summoned to appear, who assembled in the palace with such a number of the people as the judges could scant have place. Violenta, in the presence of them all, without any rage or passion, first of all recounted unto them the chaste love between Didaco and her, which he continued the space of fourteen or fifteen months, 
without receiving any fruit or commodity thereof. Within a while after, he being vanquished with love, married her secretly at her house, and solemnized the nuptials by a priest unknown, declaring, moreover, how they had lived a year together in household without any occasion of offence, on her part given unto him. Then she rehearsed before them his second marriage, with the daughter of such a man being there present, adding for conclusion that sith he had made her to lose her honesty, she had sought means to make him lose his life, which she executed with the help of Janike, her maid, who by her advice, being loath to live any longer, had drowned herself. And after she had declared the true state of the matter passed between them, she said for conclusion that all she had rehearsed was not to incite or move them to pity or compassion, thereby to prolong her life, whereof she judged herself unworthy. For if you, quoth she, do suffer me to escape your hands, thinking to save my body, you shall be the cause and whole ruin of my soul. For with these mine own hands which you see before you, I will desperately cut the thread of this my life. And with those words she held her peace, whereat the people, amazed and moved with pity, let fall the lukewarm tears from their dolorous eyes, and lamented the misfortune of that poor creature, imputing the fault upon the dead knight, which under colour of marriage had deceived her. The magistrates, determining further to deliberate upon the matter, caused the dead body to be buried, and committed Violenta again to ward, taking away from her knives and other weapons wherewith they thought she might hurt herself, and used such diligent search and inquiry that the priest which married them was found out, and the servant of Didaco that was present at the marriage of Violenta, being examined, deposed how by his master's commandment he carried his horse into the country, and how he commanded him to come to him again the next morning to the house of Violenta and all things were so well brought to light as nothing wanted for further investigation of the truth but only the confession of him that was dead and violenta by the common opinion of the judges was condemned to be beheaded not only for that she had presumed to punish the knight's trumpery and offence but for her excessive cruelty done upon the dead body thus unfortunate violenta ended her life her mother and brethren being acquitted and was executed in the presence of the duke of calabria the son of King Frederick of Aragon, which was at that time the viceroy there, and afterwards died at Torrey in France, who incontinently after caused this history to be registered with other things worthy of remembrance chanced in his time at Valencia. Bandello doth write that the maid Janique was put to death with her mistress, but Paludanus, a Spaniard, alive at that time, writeth an excellent history in Latin, wherein he certainly declareth that she was never apprehended, which opinion as most probable, I have followed. End of Didaco and Violenta The 42nd Novel of The Palace of Pleasure by William Painter Recording by David Nicoll Halifax, Nova Scotia, July 2008